Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Rackman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator for the Financial Times. Last week, I finally managed to break free from the COVID travel restrictions and go to Berlin. The sun was shining and the pavement cafes were doing good business. But German policymakers can see plenty of clouds on the global political horizon. In the German parliament, I sat down with Norbert Röttgen, who's the chairman of the Bundestag's Foreign Affairs Committee. With Angela Merkel stepping down as German Chancellor next year, Norbert Rotgen is also an outsider in the race to succeed her as leader of the ruling Christian Democrats and as German Chancellor. So how does he see the world? Less than a mile from Ms. Merkel's office lies the Charité Hospital, which is currently handling a case of the utmost political sensitivity. Alexei Navalny, the Russian opposition leader, is being treated there after an emergency evacuation to Germany from Siberia. Announcing the toxicology results, Ms. Merkel made it absolutely clear that Navalny had been poisoned and condemned the crime in what she called the strongest possible terms. The Navalny case has caused a crisis in Russian-German relations, and it's also focused attention on the possible cancellation of a controversial gas pipeline project linking Germany and Russia and known as Nord Stream 2. But this is not the only difficult dossier facing the German Chancellor and parliamentarians like Norbert Rotgen. When I was in Berlin, distressing news came through of a fire in one of the main refugee camps in Greece, leaving thousands of refugees without shelter. Actually, we're out of the camp because the camp burned yesterday and uh, all of the refugees ran away from the fire. And it was a really big fire and almost all the camp burned. And we don't know where to go. Those were refugee children from Moria taking part in a protest and chanting, we die every day. For Germany, which admitted more than a million refugees, mainly from Syria, in 2015 and 2016, the prospect of a new refugee crisis is alarming. The Germans are also currently chairing the European Union for six months. They have to try and forge common policies on controversial issues such as trade with China and Brexit. My time in Berlin came just after this announcement in Britain's House of Commons by Brandon Lewis, a government minister. Um, I would say to my um, honourable friend that yes, this does break international law in a very specific and limited way. We are taking the power to disapply the EU law concept of direct effect required by Article 4 in a certain very tightly defined circumstances. For modern Germany, which after the disaster of the Nazi years takes the rule of law rather seriously, that kind of announcement from Britain, of all places, is rather shocking. But when I sat down with Norbert Rotgen, we started by talking about Russia. 
The poisoning of Navani is another case in a series of poisonings of people from the opposition and others, you know, the Skripal case and so on. But it's not only a case, I would say, which is inhuman, but it shows a political system. It shows the inhuman aggression and expansion of Putin's system, both domestically and beyond the borders. And if we do not react to this power claim, also beyond the borders, I think we will see a different Europe. So we have to give an answer, not a German answer or a French answer, but a European answer. So Europe has to emerge in countering this aggressive power claim. And we have to be clear in our language. So there must be consequences which are understood by Vladimir Putin. And those should be what? I think there cannot be any doubt that there is a language and only one language Putin understands. It's the language of power, money and gas. So in this field, we have to talk to him. And if Russia is not going to cooperate in any way, which is definitely to expect, then I would say this should be the end of Nord Stream 2, because this is understandable for Putin. It's not an economic project at all, at least from the European perspective. There is no shortage of pipelines. We will not increase due to climate change necessities the consumption of gas. It's a power political project, at least to finally cut off Ukraine and to build a new power border and division within Europe, and we should target this power political project. So why was it never agreed if it's only about power politics and helping Russia? It has never been agreed by the EU or by a majority of European countries. And I have to admit, it has been always a Russian political project with some German industrial support and benefits. And it has been supported and agreed upon by the German governments. It has always been a fundamental political mistake. Do you think, I mean, it's one thing saying it should end. Do you think it actually will end? What's your sense of the politics now? We really don't know that because, rightly, the German government has started by describing the level of outrageous inhumanity and that everything has happened on Russian soil, that no doubt has been left that Novichok has been applied to him. So there is the burden on the Russian authorities to hint at any possibility that this has not been done under Russian state control and authority. But we have to wait for cooperation we have to give some time. If there is no cooperation by the Russian side, then the German position is that this case and pattern of behavior deserves and will be responded by a European answer. And regarding Nord Stream 2, there is a shift in the language of the German government. The Chancellor said that she is open and has not decided on the question of North Stream 2. Over five years, she was clear in her support. Only a few days before it 
became doubtless that Novichok was applied. She voiced her support for Nord Stream 2. And now she made clear that her position is that she is open about Nord Stream 2 and that Nord Stream 2 is on the table when it comes to decide upon the European reaction. And this is a change. I don't know how on the European level, in the European Council end of September, the decision will be taken. I don't know that. There are different countries which have different positions on that. But there is for the first time a German openness to include a Nord Stream 2 as part of the sanctions reaction. Now, the US government's been putting enormous pressure on Germany over Nord Stream 2. Do you think that kind of pressure has been helpful or counterproductive? It's absolutely counterproductive. I share the position, as I've made clear, that Nord Stream 2 is a harmful project for Europe, for Ukraine. It, it does harm to our transatlantic relationship. But we should be, and we are very clear, we should not consider to apply sanctions against allies. The Americans should not try to enforce their political view on a different view by European governments. So I think this is certainly something which is not helpful, particularly for those politicians in Germany and across Europe who are resisting the project. And this may be an unanswerable question, but what do you think the Russians were thinking when they let Navalny leave and come to Germany? Did that surprise you? Of course, this is speculation. There are circumstances which hint at their intention that he shouldn't survive the flight, Tomsk, to Moscow. I don't really know. I do not have real doubts that, in a way that they really don't care. I think they want to make clear the message. It's not only to kill an opposition leader, an opposition figure, because they can certainly do that. They want to deliver a clear message to their own people, to everybody who is considering to oppose the system. This is how it will end. It will be killed. It will be very harmful for you. And we get you wherever you are, be it in London or wherever. And so this is a clear message. So they don't really care. They even want to organize an international drama about the killing of this opposition figure. Mm. Now, the German debate on Russia has always been quite distinctive in the sense that there's, I think, a stronger camp, certainly than in my own country, of people who argue you should be friendly with Russia. Do you think that that can survive this event? The left-wing party and the right-wing party, which are identical on Russia and apart on China, the extreme left and the extreme right, they totally agree on Russia and they doubt that it is done under Russian control and they are conspicuous that perhaps the German intelligence service should be made responsible for the poisoning. So it's really a very strange position by them. Apart from that, the camp of the, as we call them, Russlandversteher, mm. the understanders who argue are dreaming in part and others are lobbyists, you can't hear the voices of them in these days. Mm. And... The public opinion is shifting. Clearly, the media is absolutely, I would say, in nearly unanimously in a critical stance now, including the North Stream 2 project. And also, 
the public is so outraged by the brutality, cynicism of the Russian behavior that the public view on Russia and how to deal with these guys is shifting in Germany, which has not been the case for a long, long time. Now, I mean, another issue that you've been very clear on is Huawei's involvement in the German telecom system and in 5G. Britain's decided to pull out. You've been arguing that Germany should pull out for some months. Where does that stand? We have not yet decided upon the issue, which is in part due to my efforts in this case, because there was an intention to open our regulatory system uh, also for Chinese-controlled companies. Now, we have been discussing this case all over the months. I think I can be quite optimistic that substantive progress can be achieved. We will see that, I think, in a few weeks when the government will present its draft of the bill. And I'm quite optimistic that we will see a legislation which includes a test of political credibility, a trust test. So companies who are under the inevitable control of authoritarian states are scrutinized whether they can be invited to be a part of the German 5G network. So I'm quite optimistic. We have yet to see what the draft of the legislation will be. But this has also been put to a major debate in Parliament and also in our parliamentary group of the CDU. But meanwhile, I gather 5G continues to be rolled out with Huawei embedded in it. So the costs of reversing costs are going up all the time, yeah? The costs are going up. However, I think due to what I have read, particularly in the Financial Times, in the meantime, I think uh, the American sanctions are taking effect. And at least considering what I have read, Huawei and all the Chinese companies will run out of their chips. So their ability to build up the 5G seems to be over. So the German debate may find an end. And I really wish that it's our German and European decision and not the American sanctions. But in any case, it seems to be the case that there is technically no future for Chinese 5G companies. And you're, uh, you're running for the leadership of the CDU and therefore, in effect, the chancellorship. The CDU is the most business-friendly party in Germany. So what do you say to people in the party say, hang on, this guy wants to lead our party and he's against Nord Stream 2, he's against Huawei, he's anti-business. I'm pro-Europe, I'm pro-European businesses, and I'm in favor of the self-defense of Europe in a world where we see the re-emergence of great power politics, which forces us to define our role, our identity, and I think that strength technological leadership and a clear stance for our values is also at the heart of our German identity and success story, also in economic and business terms. And switching tack a bit, I mean, there's no shortage of foreign policy crises to think about, you know, in your current position. There's the problem in the Eastern Mediterranean between Greece and Turkey. How worried should we be by that? We should really be worried over this crisis and conflict with a rhetoric of aggression. My view is that there is no black and white situation. 
but there's a lot of gray. And I strongly support the German role to try to mediate between the conflicting parties. I think we have to see the, the complicated legal situation, which has no black and white. We have to take into consideration that it is not really about the economic case of gas exploitation because there is not a business case in exploiting this gas. So it is about international prestige and power in this area, which can be mediated. And sending ships, military ships into the region, I think, is not an approach by Europe, which leads to any promising result. And is there... To put it bluntly, a risk of war between two NATO powers, between Greece and Turkey? It's in neither interest, but the level of escalation and aggression in rhetorical terms is so high that you really can't exclude even that risk to materialize, not by intention, but a proximity to accident and misunderstanding because the mistrust is so high. Yes there is a risk of an accidental war breaking out in this region between these two NATO partners. And you position Germany as basically an arbitrator between yeah. the two sides. The French, however, seem to be pretty clearly on the Greek side. Is that a problem for the European Union? It's a problem, yes. And I am blunt on that. It's a wrong French approach. Perhaps they are more anti-Turkey in their attempt than pro-Greece. But it doesn't matter. The Europeans, the European Union should really play the part of an arbitrator in this conflict and not pick a side because this will only lead to escalation. And it's not that clear, starting with the legal question, which is, of course, in a way at the heart of the problem. And meanwhile, we've got a, another tragedy with the burning down of the refugee camp. Yeah. What's your view of what that tells us about the refugee situation? And do you think the pressure will grow for Germany to take a lot more refugees as you did in 2015, or is that not conceivable? No, we should not refer to 2015, but we should make clear that there has been a catastrophe in Moria, and now we have a human catastrophe. And it's not about refugee policy, which we can't agree upon, and we are not likely to agree upon in the foreseeable future, but now we have to support people, human beings, and my proposal is, and I have written to the Minister of the Interior with the support of half a dozen colleagues from my party, that we take 5,000 refugees from the Greek heartland to Germany, and then 5,000 refugees from Moria can go to the heartland of Greece so that we contribute to the release of the pressure in Greece. We will not be able to find an agreement on refugee policy but we have to take action when we see a European and humanitarian catastrophe. And of course, refugee policy was hugely divisive, not only within Germany, but within the European Union. And there hasn't really been a settled consensus since then. It's just no. a crisis. It has driven a kind of structural wedge within Europe. It has led to the east-west division. Following the pandemic, we were quite close to see another north-south division regarding the economy and the this economic support. This is a deep split which harms and paralyzes the European Union, which we have to overcome, which is a situation, but we must not allow this split to 
hinder the development of European states to become an external actor, which is, I think, at the heart of what lies before us. We have to transform ourselves to an external project, knowing the splits and divisions, but we have to forge a group of countries which are willing and able to pursue our interests beyond our borders and in our world. So we know the disagreements, but we have to find ways, irrespective of the disagreements, to act externally. Now, since I've just arrived from London, let me finish by asking you about the eternal question of Brexit. The British government said some pretty radical things this week, admitted they're going to break international law and raise real questions about the withdrawal agreement and about the possibility of reaching a trade deal. How worried are you by what you hear coming out of London? Really, to be honest, I have been totally surprised and totally disappointed when I've read that the British government considers to specifically, in a limited way, breach an international treaty, which has been agreed with the European Union. I've always thought that the rule of law is at the heart of the history and the very essence of Britain and at the heart of the foreign policy of Britain. And now to listen to a British government proclaiming the breach of an international treaty and knowingly doing that, I think this is, this is a disappointment, which I can only hope will be very, very quickly reversed. Otherwise, I think there is real damage for Britain and its ambition to be a global power, to cooperate, on a reliable basis. So I really can only hope this approach of policy be definitely reversed in a very, very quick time. But if it isn't, it seems to me it makes it very hard for the European Union to have a trade deal with the UK because what guarantee is there that we don't turn around in nine months and say, well, we're not going to follow some of what we've agreed? If, if we were forced to face a situation where we couldn't rely on the legal word and treaties with Britain, then the very basis of our cooperation would be destroyed. And of course, then there is no perspective to find any deal because we just would have made the experience that we can't rely on a treaty which we have agreed on. But that means that in a few months' time, in January, that we could be in this no-deal scenario, which means tariffs go up. And German cars face, I don't know, what is it, 10% tariff and food tariffs are even higher. How much of a blow would that be to the German economy, to the EU? I mean, yeah, of course, this is, this is in neither interest. And I have always been hopeful that at the end of the day, interest and rationality matter and will prevail. Of course, there is a possibility to inflict self-harm and self-damage on both sides. I'm not without hope yet, but the path is not going into a right direction. Yes, we can in a situation where we are challenged in a common way, all of us Europeans, the British included, from all sides, from China, from Russia, from the Middle East, even from this American administration, and we can inflict harm on ourselves and weaken ourselves. I think this is fundamentally against our interests. It can happen, yes, but we should avoid this crazy self-damaging behavior.
So last question, I mean, because I think perhaps the British audience and others may not realise it, within Germany, you've been one of the strongest voices arguing for building a post-Brexit relationship with Britain and really incorporating the UK into yeah. European decision-making. So if things went right and we avoided this breakup, what future would you see for a Brexit Britain working with the European Union? We should be on the European side, on the German side, emotionally respectful to the decision the British have taken, which is Brexit, and we don't understand. But we should really pay tribute and respect to the decision. And on this basis of realpolitik, we should strive to build a relationship as close as possible. And perhaps it could turn out that different to the times when Britain was a member of the EU and rejected all attempts to find progress on a, a deeper cooperation on foreign and security policy, on an intergovernmental basis, perhaps we could come closer together than it would have been possible with Britain as a member of the European Union, because now Britain would act as a sovereign state and not as a member state. And I think this is in our mutual interest to bring our acts together and develop European strength, irrespective of membership of the European Union, because the threats, the challenges and the opportunities are more or less the same for us. Okay. Thanks very much, Robert. Thank you so much. That was Norbert Rotgen in Berlin, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. I do hope you'll be able to join us again next week. You can find the show in all the usual podcast apps. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.